0: Um, But here's the thing. Sometimes we get proven wrong and it doesn't feel good to be proven wrong. When it comes to our faith, when it comes to our belief system, one of the things that we don't need is we don't need our faith shaken by being proven wrong. In other words, if I'm going to believe in something, I need to know why I believe in that thing. I need a firm foundation of belief, because if someone were to come up to me and shake that foundation of my belief, then it's going to shake me moving forward as I move forward in life, I need to have a firm foundation to stand on. And so this series that we're doing, uh, we started two weeks ago. We skipped a week for Mother's Day. And so we're back on it called Approved. And the whole idea is that I want to be able to prove why I believe what I believe. Now, there's a term for this. It's called apologetics. And this is not something that um, I have gotten into a lot over the years. And I've certainly never preached a series on apologetics. And one of the things I, I kind of got in trouble for two weeks ago was mentioning how dumb I am. And I'm not saying that like as a, as a, a funny joke. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not the smartest person. I don't have the highest education. But here's the thing I want to emphasize. When I say something like that, it's not because I want you to think I'm stupid. It's I want you to realize how normal a person I am. And that if this stuff, if I can study apologetics, ...and get it. It's not just for preachers and professors and theologians. It's for every single Christian. We should all have an answer to give. Any of us can grab this and run with it. So last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about, is God real? The existence of God, right? And we talked about some scientific facts. We talked about the the Big Bang. We talked about um, radiation in the the universe and all these cool things. This week, we're going to talk about the reliability or the validity of the New Testament... Can I trust the New Testament? Can I trust the writers of the New Testament? Or is the New Testament just a bunch of fairy tales? Because here's the thing. If the New Testament is a bunch of fairy tales, then what does that mean for the things that Christ said about you and me? What does that mean for his work on the cross? What does that mean? For his resurrection, what, what does that mean when the Book of Acts leads us through the the infilling of the Holy Spirit? What does all of that mean? If it's all a bunch of fairy tales, then all of that stuff that we've built our faith on and we've built churches on is is really going to crumble underneath us at some point. So we need to know: a Is it legit? And b um, Can I live by it? Right. And so I want to give you today. I, I found in my in my studying. Um, Multiple lists of proofs why the New Testament is legit, why the New Testament is um, reality for us. Um, But today, in order to to save us from having an hour and a half long sermon, we're going to just cut it down to to a bite-sized portion. And then you can study some of this stuff on your own. I'll be glad to share my studying with you. Um, But today, just to help us remember, how many of you ever watched uh, Christmas Vacation? Anybody? Ever? Okay, some of you don't want to admit it, but I know you did. Um, So Christmas vacation, there's Uncle Eddie. There it is. Uncle Eddie. So today, I know I misspelled Eddie, but today I'm going to give you our reasons for believing the New Testament based on Uncle Eddie. So so if you guys could put Uncle Eddie up on the screen. And so here's what Uncle Eddie is going to stand for today. I know it's misspelled. I already said that. It's misspelled, but... Cousin Eddie. Well, he's uncle to somebody. Um, he's uncle to me. All right, so we got early writing. So the first E is early writing, then divergent details, demanding and difficult teaching, embarrassing details, and excruciating deaths, right? Or testimony. I put testimony on that one. But excruciating testimony. These are the, the different areas we're going to talk about today. It's five reasons, five reasons why we can believe in the New Testament, why we can believe the writers of the new testament so let's get into it first and foremost is early writing i'm going to give you guys some dates i want you to pay attention to these if you're taking notes today these are some great things to write down um but a lot of people say a lot of the argument against the new testament is people want to argue that it was written so far after the death and resurrection of christ that there's no way it could be real they say it's so, so much of it is based on oral tradition that none of it can be real, that, that, that people have come in and added their own stuff. But did you know that, that really there are books that were left out of the New Testament? People wrote books that did not get included in the New Testament because they were too far away from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so I just want to give you a couple of things in here. A couple of dates to remember. Number one, Jesus died and was resurrected between 30 and 33 AD. Somewhere in that time frame was when Jesus was uh, died and resurrected. And, and actually, there I didn't put this in my notes today, but there are um, extra biblical writers. There are people that were not Christians, uh, Jewish historians, Roman historians, that all mark Jesus as being a real human being on earth during that time frame they they talk about him it's it's written down in their books we're not going to get into that today but that's that's something to remember the jewish uprising and the destruction of the temple um now that may not matter to you but i just need you to know it's a time it's a time stamp for us happened between 66 and 70 a.d the jews tried to rise up against the romans in 66 through 66 and, and uh in 70 and then in 70 It's a known fact the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Why am I telling you all this stuff? Well, here's a couple of things I want you to just put in in your uh, holster here, some ammunition. Put this in your gun. So if the destruction of the temple was in 70 A.D. and the Jewish uprising happened in 66 through 70, um, why were those things never mentioned in the New Testament? Think about this for a second. They were never mentioned in any... Of the New Testament books. Is it because they didn't happen? No, they absolutely happened. Why weren't they mentioned? They weren't mentioned because at the time of the writing of the New Testament, they hadn't happened yet. So, why is that important? Well, that puts the writing of the books of the New Testament between the resurrection of Christ in 30 to 33 AD and 66 AD. So you've got a 30 to 33 year span of time that all of these books had to have been written. Okay, here's another another uh, little proof in that same mold, the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is considered one of the most historically accurate books in the Bible. As a matter of fact, um, uh, archaeologists and historians will reference the book of Acts to be able to locate places in real life today. Um, there, there there's stories in the book of Acts that Luke was a writer of the book of Acts. He was a doctor for those of you, uh, medical people in the room, uh, just know you are well represented in the Bible. Uh, Luke was a physician. And so Luke was very detailed oriented in everything that he did. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, one, one archeologist, uh, went to Malta. The book of Acts tells the story of Paul being shipwrecked, right? Tells the story of Paul being shipwrecked. And it says that they cut their anchors and then the ship broke up. Among the rocks. Did you know that today they went to Malta? Not today, like today. In nowadays, they went to Malta. They go off the shore of Malta to a depth of about 90 feet, which is what Luke said they were. And they found four anchors of a Corinthian-era ship. So Luke is very detailed-oriented. I'm just saying that so you understand. Luke gets his facts right. Luke quotes and talks about multiple people... In his books of Luke and Acts, he wrote both of them. He talks about multiple people that are all historical people. You can go back and find them in other people's writings. They're all historical people. So Luke doesn't leave a lot out. But here's the thing. Luke starts his book off talking about Peter and the disciples. He ends the book of Acts talking about Paul's life. and We figure that's because he traveled with Paul. He changes language from, from saying they to saying we. Right. And so he's traveling with Paul in all of his um, adventures. And so um, so as he travels with Paul, here's something to note. Paul dies. This is confirmed because he was killed by Nero. Paul dies in 64 A.D. We can track that historically. He was killed in 64 A.D. Luke doesn't mention the death of Paul ever. Now, you would think if someone were writing a book about the life of someone They would include their death if they're writing it after the fact. But because they weren't writing it after the fact, because Luke was writing it within the window of 33 AD and when did Paul die? 64 AD, that he must have written it in that time frame. So Luke isn't very far removed from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Here's the last one. James, the brother of Jesus, dies in 62 AD. Now listen, the Bible never mentions James' death. It mentions a different James dying, but not, the, not James, the author of the book of James, the brother of Jesus. It doesn't mention his death in 62 AD. Now, I know this might sound controversial, but last time I checked, most writers don't write very often after they die, right? Most writers write all of their works while they're still alive. James wrote the book of James. He says his name in the book. It's in the title. So James wrote the book of James, but he died in 62 A.D. He was the brother of Christ. Therefore, he had to have been alive during the time of Christ. And so his book must have been written within 33 and 62 A.D. Why are we focused on that so much? Because so many people are going to tell you that the books were written so far Past the time of Christ, that there's no way they could be reliable. But I'm telling you common sense, like you don't have to be a historian or an archaeologist or Indiana Jones to figure out that common sense will tell you that, that these guys were living in that tame, same time frame and were writing within that tame, same time frame. I don't know why I can't speak English today. It's important to do when you're a preacher. I want you to think about those of you that are old enough. Think about what you were doing 30 years ago. How much detail can you remember from 30 years ago? I know my dad can't remember too much from 30 minutes ago, but but 30 years ago, some of us can still remember some detail, right? I remember 30 years ago. I remember my 13th birthday. I remember that my friends, Matthew, Mark, and John, I was kind of like Jesus. (laughs) If I just had a friend named Luke. Um, I I remember my friends Matthew, Mark, and John were the only people invited to my birthday party at 13 years old. We went to Aladdin's Castle at Village Mall in Auburn and played video games. And my parents gave us a bunch of tokens. Then we went home and played football in the front yard. And then we ate cookie cake because that was my favorite kind of cake was cookie cake at that time. And then we played Nintendo. You see the detail that I remember? I'm not the smartest person in the world. I didn't live through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But see how I can still remember what I did on my 13th birthday? What a random day to remember. December 12th of whenever that was. I don't even know the date, right? I just want you to show, I want to show you, we can still remember stuff. It doesn't mean that we don't know the details of what happened. These writers were very close to the events of the life of Christ. It was very easy for them to write down the details without forgetting another thing to consider is some people feel like not everybody but some people feel like paul might have had had access although some some scholars are going to say that the gospels were written after after paul wrote his books but there are some people that say when i think it was the book of thessalonians that when paul wrote the first letter to the thessalonians um that he had access to matthew's writing of the gospel because some of the language is so similar it just goes to show you that, that the early writing is the first evidence that we can trust We can trust the, uh, the New Testament. The second one is divergent details. The word divergent just means um, to develop um, in different directions. In, in other words, we're going to get the same story, but we're going to get different details of that same story, right? And, and that's okay. I was, um, I was talking to, to Andrew Rape. He's the owner of CrossFit Trustful that now meets here. So if you guys see stuff like you've been seeing on our Facebook page, we've got a trail cut in the woods. Um, I know Gala wants to go put a, a garden out there, and so she she got, got you a space. Gayla, go put your garden out there. Um, we got a trail cut in the woods, and and you guys notice we got trailers out here with a bunch of floor mats. We're trying to get stuff straightened up and cleaned up. Um, so they're they're making their home here with us uh, right now. And and Andrew is telling me that during the during COVID. Uh, the gym had to work out outside. And so he had two different news corporations come out and document what they were doing. And one news corporation, I can't remember which one it was, talked about what a great person he was and, and Candace was, that they were still able to operate their business during COVID. And they went outside and they spaced everybody out and, and how awesome it was that what they were doing. Another news outlet, I think maybe it was Fox, I can't remember. They came out and they they were doing a, a similar um, story on Andrew but when they did it the title underneath his name said like illegally um, you know open for business and he's a criminal and they they had a whole nother twist the same exact story but details because they're being viewed from two different viewpoints so so a lot of people are gonna say well there's so many inconsistencies in the Bible there's so many inconsistencies in in Matthew Mark Luke and John that surely it can't be right so let's just look at a couple of inconsistencies real quick. This is a good one. Mark chapter 16. This is the story of the resurrection. Mark 16 verses 5 and 6. It says, when they entered the tomb, talking about the ladies, um, they saw a, a young man. How many young men did they see? One. They saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. So how many angels were at the tomb? One. Now let's read Luke's account. Luke's very detailed. Remember, he's a doctor. Luke 24, 1 through 4. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared... They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. So how many people, how many angels were there in Mark's account? One. How many angels were there in Luke's account? Two. So we've got a different story. These guys must be wrong. John chapter 20. Here's another account. John 21 and 2, it says this early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came, came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter, the other and the other disciple, uh, the one whom Jesus loved and said they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. How many angels are in John's account? Zero. No angels in John's account. So which one is right? All of them are right. Think about it for a second. Mark only acknowledges the angel that spoke. And angel spoke. So Mark's, Mark's focus on, hey, this guy's talking. Luke focuses on the whole thing. He wants to tell you every single detail. So, so Luke wants to tell you all the things that happened. They were taking spice with them, and two angels were there. And then John, John's just telling you about the, the fact that the tomb was empty... And Mary left to go tell Peter and himself. So they're all telling the same exact story. What is the, one of the consistencies of the story? Is that the tomb was empty. Right? That's the consistency. That's the story they're telling. They're not trying to tell a story about angels. They're trying to tell a story about an empty tomb. But they throw in different details because they're all viewing it from different viewpoints and different writing styles. So just because something doesn't appear to be the same in the New Testament doesn't mean it's inconsistent and it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's just what we call divergent details. It's all the same story, just from a different viewpoint. One of the things I've heard is that I, I watch a lot of Dateline. We, you guys know this. I watch a lot of Dateline. I told my wife yesterday after, after lots of Datelines, I said, baby, if you ever decide that you need another man and you don't want me anymore... I said, please just divorce me. Don't, don't make me drink, you know, uh, what is it? Antifreeze. That's the one we watched where this lady fed her husband antifreeze for like two weeks, and he died a slow, painful death. I'm like, just divorce me. Like, it's cheaper. Like, I would rather just have that embarrassment than, than you to just just pour antifreeze in my, in my drink every day, right? And, and so, but here's the thing. Every time I watch Dateline, here's what happens. On Dateline, you're going to get witnesses come in, all right? Now, we've got a couple of officers in the room, we've got State Trooper, we've got Trussell PD, and you guys know better than I do. But they would get these witnesses to come in, and they're always trying to ask the witnesses, what did you see? Tell me the story. And they'll ask the witnesses in separate rooms. And one of the things you'll notice is they want divergent details. They want to make sure that the witnesses are telling the same story, but from their own viewpoints. There's something that happens, though, it's called collusion, and it's when all the witnesses tell all the same exact story word for word, chances are they're all lying, right? They're all lying. And so one of the things you see in the Bible is divergent details actually adds more credibility to the writers than it does take credibility away. The third third one we're going to talk about today, so we got the E, and we got the first D, and now the second D is difficult and demanding teaching. One of the things that they did not do is they did not leave out the difficult and demanding teachings of Christ. Now, if I'm going to start a cult, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm only putting teachings in my cult that benefit me or benefit the other leadership around me. I'm not going to include teaching that makes life harder for me. That makes no sense. But I want you to just quickly, this is, this is some excerpts from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I'm just going gonna, gonna to read through some of these verses real quick. Matthew 5, 28. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust, and, uh, with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right off the bat, the Old Testament says don't commit adultery. That was easy for most people because they could just not cheat on their wife, but they still struggled with lust. So in other words, they're like, well, if I'm looking at pornography, it's okay because I'm not committing adultery. Jesus says, if you do it in your heart, you've done it in the flesh. Don't even do it in the heart. This is a difficult saying that they just left in there. Wouldn't it have been easier to take that one out? Absolutely it would have. You guys were like, no. Matthew 5.32 uh, says this, But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless, he, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who married, marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. In those days, there was this big to-do about divorce. Because you had the two different religious groups of, of Jews um, that, that they broke apart over stuff like this. One group said you can divorce a woman for only... Only for adultery. Another one said, you can divorce a woman if her hair looks bad in the morning. Right? They had two different viewpoints of divorce. Jesus comes in and makes it even more difficult. And he says, I tell you what, if you divorce and remarry, you're committing adultery. And that hurt everybody's feelings. They should have left that one out, but they didn't. Matthew 5, 33, uh, I mean, 39 through 42. But I say don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek... Offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Skipping down to verse 44, it says, But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. This goes against our very human nature to treat our enemies with respect, honor and prayer. It goes against who we are And the Jews of that day. When he says soldiers, he's not talking about fellow Jews. He's talking about the Romans. The Romans and Jews hated each other. So you need to understand something. When Jesus is throwing this stuff out there, the disciples could have very easily left all of this out. And should have if they were making up a fairy tale. Judas, the reason he betrayed Christ is because he wouldn't stand up to the Romans the way he thought he should. That was Judas's reason for betraying Christ. And yet the writers leave in all this content of loving the Romans. It doesn't make sense if you're starting a cult or a fairy tale. Matthew five forty eight says, but you, you who are to be perfect, um, you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's hard. Matthew 6, 20, uh, 19 through uh, 21, don't store up treasures on earth where moths and eat and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths cannot and rust cannot destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. I don't know if Dave Ramsey would approve of that. Right? Right? Every cult leader I know, I don't know that many cult leaders, but um, most of the cult leaders I've heard of, right? I've heard of, um, they're, always, they're always trying to get more here on earth. Jesus says, don't worry about treasure on earth, worry about treasure in heaven. I was watching a TV show the other day, and this, this guy was talking about, it was a comedy, and this guy's talking about cults. And he said, um, "He said I've been in a, in a number of cults as both a leader and a follower. He says, you have more fun as a follower, but you make more money as a leader, right? That's the mindset of cults, and Jesus just totally obliterates that. The last one I'll give you is this, Matthew 7, 1 and 2. It says, do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Judging is our defense mechanism to shift blame from ourselves to someone else. All you got to do is do a little bit of counseling when two people are mad at each other. They're constantly going to be judging the other person. It's one of the oldest problems in the Bible. God shows up to Adam and Eve and he says, hey, you guys sinned. Adam, why did you sin? Adam goes, the woman you gave me made me do it. He blamed God and the woman. Right? He says, Eve, why did you sin? And she says, the snake made me do it. And so everybody wants to judge and blame other people, and Jesus says you can't do that. So his teachings in just this one sermon that was included, his teachings are all very difficult and demanding of people, and if you're going to start a cult or build a, a fairy tale, you don't leave in stuff like that. Let's go to the fourth one, and we're almost done. Embarrassing details. This is one of my favorite ones. Embarrassing details. The writers of the New Testament left in embarrassing details. Now, not many people tell embarrassing stories about themselves, right? I do every Sunday, but, um, but not everybody does that. And most of the time, we would lie to cover up our embarrassing stories. How many of you have ever lied to cover up an embarrassing story? And those of you that didn't raise your hand, guess what? You're lying right now. Like, this is you're doing the thing that we're asking you to raise your hands for. We all have lied at some point to cover up an embarrassing story. Um, I, I remember one time being so embarrassed. I, I was, my mom was having some kind of tea party or something in the front yard of our house. Now, why you would do that, I have no idea. It was a church thing, and back in those days, we lived in a parsonage, and our church was literally in the parking lot. I mean, our house was literally in the parking lot of the church, Right? And so there was very little escape. Um, And so my mom's having this tea party or or lunch or something in the front yard. And I came running out of the house and I turned hard right and I'm running down the the brick stairs to try to go over to a basketball court. And as I'm running, I trip on the brick stairs and I fall and bust my tail in front of all these women. And my mom goes, are you all right, baby, or whatever it was, you know, and I was just like. I'm fine, leave me alone. I took off running, y'all are so mad, you know. Um, so when we're embarrassed, we try to cover it up, we try to get away from it as quickly as possible. The disciples didn't do that. The the disciples decided to leave it all in there. So a couple of things. I'm not going to give you verses for this, although we could find tons of them. Um, One of the things they left in was dumb. They left some really dumb stories um, of multiple times over and over where the disciples just did not understand the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus multiple times would have to come back and explain over and over and over. If I were writing the story, I would say, and Jesus talked about the parable of the sower And I got it right away, right? No, they did not. They left in there that they didn't understand. And they had to keep coming back and asking questions. They left uncaring details in there. Times when Jesus, Jesus was about to go to the cross. He's in the garden. He's praying. He's crying. He's got drops of blood coming out of his skin. He's in that much anguish. And he goes to find his best friends in the world to see that they're praying with him. And the Bible says they were all asleep. They didn't care that much. And so Jesus comes to him. He says, can't you just pray with me for one hour? And he goes back to, to pray again. And when he looks back over, guess what they did? Asleep. Why would you leave that in there? It makes you look like a jerk when you leave that detail in there. They got rebuked. The Bible says that Jesus called Peter Satan. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Right? They got rebuked. They were cowards. They were cowards. And they left that story in there. When Jesus goes to the cross, I don't know if you know this or not, but who among his followers stayed with him all the way to the cross? John, yes. Who else? The women. Not the men. Guess where the men went? They went running away. One guy ran so fast. He ran out of his clothes. Peter denied Jesus three times to the point of cussing out a little girl. Like these guys all fled and it was the women that followed Jesus to the cross, the Bible says. Who were the first people to go to the tomb? Not the men. It was the women. Now, if you're writing a story as a man, right? Because these are all written by men. If you're writing a story as a man, are you going to throw that in there? Are you going to put in there that, that, yeah, I was scared and I ran away, and, but all the ladies showed up. The ladies didn't care about the Roman soldiers or, or, or the Jewish religious leaders. They were bold and brave, and they went, no, you're going to be like, yeah, I showed up, and I kicked the Roman soldier in the face, and then I grabbed Jesus and pulled him off the cross, and I put him in the tomb myself. No, that's the kind of stuff that a man's going to write, but the women are the ones that did it. The men were cowards. They were scared. They were scared. So that's something you got to understand. They were doubtful. The Bible says that Thomas didn't believe. Uh, the Bible says, they, they left this one in there, that even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus' own brothers didn't believe. John chapter uh, 7 verse 5 says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Now why would you leave that in the story? If my brother were the son of God, I would be talking to John. And I would say, hey, man, you remember that time I didn't really believe in him? Don't put that in the story. Leave that part out, right? But they left it in. They left it all in. Why? Because it's an honest retelling of the story. It's an honest retelling. They even left disparaging words about Jesus in there. They left in there when people called him a drunk and they called him demon-possessed. And they said he was a madman. They left the story in there of a prostitute washing his feet with her hair, which could have been taken as a a sexual um, issue. They left that story in there. They left in the fact that he was crucified, that he was crucified naked on a cross. Like they left embarrassing, disparaging stories about Christ in the story. Why did they do that? Because it was an honest retelling of the story. The last one is this. The last E is excruciating deaths, excruciating deaths. All of the disciples, except for John, died a martyr's death. And John, they tried to kill that sucker. They put him in a pot of boiling oil and he survived. I'm going to tell you right now, you throw me in a pot of boiling oil. Y- yesterday, uh, the, the gym, we got, we got our stuff out of the gym lockers. And so I've got shoes that were in the gym lockers. And I put them in a tub of hot water with like baking soda and stuff, trying to get the smoke smell out. And I reached in to grab a shoe. And just the hot water burned my hand and I didn't like it. You put me in boiling oil, you may as well shoot me. Like just shoot me. And John survived that. So to say that he didn't die a martyr's death... Yeah, that's great, but he went through some torture. Here's here's the thing. Looking at, I want to just take you through James for just a second. John 7 5 says that James uh, was one of the brothers brothers of Christ. It says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. But by Acts 1 14, it says they all met together. Um, This is the upper room story, Acts 1. Uh, The the, um, Holy Spirit is going to come down in Acts 2. So in Acts 1, they're all meeting together. It says they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Who was with them? Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So from from Matthew, from John chapter 7 to Acts chapter 1, something has transformed in James's life. He went from not believing in Jesus to showing up in the upper room after Jesus has already gone to heaven. And then in 62 A.D., he was one of the leaders of the church and the and not the Bible. History tells us that he was thrown off the temple mount like he was thrown down the mountain and then stoned to death because of his belief in Jesus. So what happens from from John chapter seven to sixty two A.D. where my man is getting thrown down and stoned to death? What transpired in the middle of that to change his mind? Well, Paul happened to be a friend of his. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. He says, then he was seen by James. Talking about Jesus after his death and resurrection. It says he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. He saw something. He saw something and it transformed his life to the point he was willing to die for it. James' son of Zebedee was killed in the book of Acts. Stephen was killed in the book of Acts. Peter was hung on a cross upside down. Paul was beheaded by Nero. All of these guys were murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Just just because someone's a martyr doesn't make what they believe true. We understand that. I don't believe in Islam, but there are suicide bombers. There there are Islamic martyrs all over the place. Um, Happens all the time. It doesn't make what they believe true, but it does mean that their, their belief is so strong that they're willing to die for it. But here's the thing that you'll never see. You'll see people die for their belief, but you'll never see people die for a lie. They never die for something that they know is a lie. So one of the, one of the stories that people are going to tell you is they're going to say, hey, you, you shouldn't believe in Jesus because he didn't really rise from the dead because his disciples just went and stole his body and they had a conspiracy, and the conspiracy was to keep his body hidden and make it look like he was raised from the dead. Listen, anytime you have a group of people that have a conspiracy, they have a lie, and you threaten them with death, someone's going to crack. Someone's going to crack. I already said we have um, some law enforcement officers in the room. If they were to interrogate people, and they were giving the option of murdering those people, they could get people to crack very easily, right? These guys didn't crack. We don't have one place in history where one of these early disciples didn't give up their faith in the face of death. Not one place. I read this, this quote. It's a little lengthy, so if you'll just... Go with me on this one, and this is where we're going to be closing today. This is by a guy named Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was involved in the Watergate scandal. And Watergate was, you know, Richard Nixon. This is back in the day. And, um, you know, it was this this whole conspiracy issue. And and so I just want to read you what Chuck Colson says. He became a Christian. He says, critics of of Christianity often try to explain the empty tomb by saying the disciples lied. ...that they stole Jesus' body themselves and conspired together to pretend he had risen. The apostles then managed to recruit more than 500 other people to lie for them as well... ...to say that they saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. But just how plausible is this theory? To support it, you'd have to be ready to believe that for the next 50 years... ...those people were willing to be ostracized, beaten, persecuted... ...and all but one of them suffer a martyr's death... ...without ever renouncing their conviction... That they had seen Jesus bodily resurrected. Does anyone really think the disciples could have maintained a lie all that time? No. Someone would have cracked, just as we did so easily in Watergate. Someone would have acted as John Dean did and turned state's evidence. There would have been some kind of smoking gun evidence um, or deathbed confession. Why didn't they? Because they had come face to face with the living God. They could not deny what they had seen. The fact is that people will give their lives for what they believe is true, but they will never give their lives what they know is a lie. What the Watergate cover-up proves that 12 powerful men in modern America could not keep a lie. And that 12 powerless men 2,000 years ago couldn't have been telling anything but the truth. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? So what? Why is this important? Why does all this matter? Like, yes, I've given you guys a bunch of facts. And yes, we've talked about Uncle Eddie or Cousin Eddie. Um, we, we talked about the, the different evidences for the New Testament. Right? And again, essentially what I just gave you today is a paraphrase of what I've studied. There's much, much more evidence than this. So why is this important? It's important because if, if the New Testament writers aren't telling the truth, then everything Jesus said is just a good story and a fairy tale and a nice little Aesop you know, parable, fable, whatever they're called, right? That's all it is. And it gives us no, um, no substantial foundation to build our life on. Jesus said, build your life on my words. Build your life on my words. But if it's all a lie, I can't build my life on it. Let me give you a couple of scriptures today that we need to build our life on. Matthew 20:28. 20, I don't have these on the screen. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 19:10 for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If the New Testament is true, then heaven is real. Hell is real. Salvation is real. We can be born again. Freedom is real. Peace is real. Healing is real. If the New Testament is true, all of those things we have access to today. And if it's a lie then none of those things are a reality to us. And no matter what we pursue or what we go after, it won't help us. Today, we're going to close out our service with this. We're going to pray. And and I'm going to have our prayer team. We got some some men and women that we trust to come down and they're going to stand in the front of the room. And when they stand in the front of the room in just a minute, I'm going to invite you. if you If you need the God of the New Testament, right? If you need peace, you need salvation, you need forgiveness, if you need healing, if you need freedom, whatever it is that you need today, we want to pray with you about that. We want to give you that opportunity. And, and we want to love on you, and we want to be a part of what God's doing in your life. And so I'm going to ask you in just a minute to step out of your seat. I'm going to pray for you. And if you need prayer for anything today, whatever's going on in your family today, I'm telling you the New Testament is true. Jesus is real. And he wants to minister to your life today. I believe it. I believe it. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? God, I pray for...